0: Vision has just the right mix of music, inspiration and fun to kickstart your day. Rise and shine with Fel and DJ. Weekdays at breakfast.
1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Some more today on the likely effects on the Christian church after the Victorian government passed laws on the so-called conversion therapy. Many Christians are concerned this may be a door being flung wide open to an intensifying Christian persecution like what we see in many nations around the world. The bill empowers the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission to investigate reports of conversion and suppression practices. It means the medical profession, parents and church leaders could face criminal penalties of heavy fines, and even up to 10 years in prison. It's been described as a Trojan horse for activism and an ugly law that purports to prohibit gay conversion therapy. Well, Christian leaders recognise that without doubt it is an attack on freedom of religion and parental rights by activists who regard the very existence of categories of sex and sexuality to be oppressive. So what will it mean? Are Christians about to be subjected to coercion, being investigated, monitored, re-educated, fined, or even thrown into jail for promoting the teachings of the Bible? Our special guest through this coming hour is Elizabeth Kendall, an international religious liberty analyst and advocate. She serves as director of advocacy at the Canberra-based Christian Faith and Freedom, and is an adjunct research fellow at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at Melbourne School of Theology. Elizabeth Kendall, a special welcome back to 2020,
2: and welcome. Uh, thank you. <laughs> welcome. Thank you very much, Neil.
1: Uh, Elizabeth, perhaps we start with uh, some big picture issues here. The idea of tightening the screws around Australian Christianity and whether this actually looks focused on Christianity as a target or whether we're on the periphery and just going along with some of the things that are developing. What are your thoughts for the big picture?
2: Well, I think... um, uh Concerning this law, um, which I love to call an anti-conversion law because it reminds me so much of anti-religious conversion laws that we see in other countries. In fact, I've described it in my writing as uh, the LGBTQ's war against apostasy because it just seems to me so much like the Hindu nationalist anti-conversion law or the Islamic anti-conversion law. It's really a law to stop anyone who thinks they might be LGBTQ from apostatizing. So, um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And, you know, there's a a very insidious side to this bill. And in Victoria, it's more so than anywhere else. In fact, the Victorian bill is the most uh, religiously targeted and repressive bill anywhere in the world on this matter. So more so than... Other bills that have been passed throughout Australia, and one of the things that makes it so insidious is it does directly and specifically target the church and target Christian practices, including prayer.
1: Okay, it elevates the rights of LGBTQ people. Above religions, let's group everybody under the religions category here because LGBTQ rights have been elevated to the level of what we might talk about having a religious freedom. And so the idea of maneuvering those rights into place and then making a law that says these rights are above religions, that makes it especially dangerous for people who have a religious persuasion.
2: Uh, absolutely, and and it all works on a really sort of a, a false um, a false premise. And I really like what one of the Cro- Victorian crossbench benches, David Limbrick, had to say. He's he's a crossbencher bencher with the Liberal Democrats, and he wrote in January, so just before the bill went into the Upper House, he wrote in Spectator Australia that the bill was shameful. He says. I have approached this legislation with an open mind. I am not a religious conservative, but I sat through many meetings with stakeholders from all sides. He says the idea that evil religious people are waiting in the shadows, ready to deny people choices about their own sexuality, is an offensive caricature. He says not just to faith leaders, but to millions of people who quietly practice their religions. He says, "What what's worse? This bill has undertones of anti-religious bigotry, and anyone who thinks that this particular bigotry is better than any other is kidding themselves." And that's the thing that uh, that's the sense I really get from this bill. It is really uh, has its roots in a deep anti-Christian bigotry that is uh with the uh, the Daniel Andrews government in Victoria and one of the things that really points out the degree to which the church is being targeted is the uh is the um the material that has come out from um Amnesty International so Amnesty International has been backing the bill really strongly and you know they they say um they say they say quite openly in their material that those horrible harmful you know practices you know where psychiatrists want to lobotomize you or electrocute you you know to stop you having a feeling you know that doesn't really happen anymore it says the real problem are these this problem as pictured in a graphic that they produced and it's on my it's on my religious liberty monitoring blog i've got it there and the graphic depicts a young person with a little rainbow flag on their t-shirt uh they're in a the church they hear a Sermon, they hear conversations, they get confused, they talk to a pastor, the pastor has someone come and pray with them, and then this poor kid goes home all, all distressed and thinks he's sick and wants to kill himself, and this is what we have to stop. So well, it absolutely points to the church, targets prayer, and 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 and, and Amnesty International says this is the real. Problem, and there's no doubt about it that that is what the government is looking for. And I would anticipate that when the law comes into force in February of next year, that it won't be very long at all before LGBTQ activists have found a soft target that they will uh, they will set up, they'll frame them, there'll be more fair and it'll be in the courts.
1: Well, the idea of aligning Christian prayer and pastoral care to torture practices, uh, which is mm. really uh, where it's been elevated to, uh, that's what's really uh, caused a lot of concern here. But uh, with that sort of idea that prayer is a torture practice, now let me just you know take a little aside here and come back for a moment because you and I, we love to talk about prayer. Oftentimes we'll end our conversations about what it is that is so powerful about a Christian believer being in prayer in the courts of the Lord. And when we talk about prayer here, there's so many Christians who think that their own prayer life doesn't seem to achieve much. We don't put a lot of effort into our prayer. It's one of the lesser priorities. But hang on a second. Here's a government here in Australia that thinks prayer is very powerful. In fact, they want to stamp it out. They want to do away with it. What are your thoughts here for this sort of idea that Christians have a bit of a disconnect here about the power of prayer?
2: Oh, that's so funny, because that reminds me now, you know, exactly about something I wrote about in my first book, Turn Back the Battle. And I had a contact in Ivory Coast who made this same point. He said said that the, the Islamists who were on the front line in the Civil War for for Ivory Coast back in, like, uh, 2002, these Islamists were deeply into occultic belief, you know, it was a syncretistic religion. And they were involved in all sorts of occultism that was just horrendous. And they had put out a word that they would kill pastors and because they had to stop Christian prayers because the pastors were calling Christians to prayer, and that was why they had not managed to uh, to advance beyond Bwaka and seize control of Ivory Coast. So they had to stop the Christians praying. And I, I mention it, uh, I've got the details of it in uh, in that chapter in, in my book, and I ask the question there, why is it that West African Islamists, syncretistic Islamists, have more faith in the prayers of Christians than Christians do. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just amazing, isn't it? But um, with, with, for me, too, the thing that really gets on my nerves with this whole bill, as someone who has dealt with uh, human rights issues for the last 20 years and has been having to deal with issues of Christians and others, too, being tortured, being um, beaten almost to death and all these sorts of things. Here in Australia, we're going to have a law that stops people being harmed, harmed by prayer. And I'm thinking, you know, I thought, you know, the the harm I'm dealing with on a daily basis is people who are, you know, they're being strung up by the fingernails. They're being uh, put in in solitary confinement for three years. They're being almost killed. They're, They're really being tortured. But these people, the, the people who are pushing for this bill and particularly targeting the church, they're claiming to be seriously harmed by prayer. And uh, this really just has to be this really has to be shown for what a what a farce it is. It's just ridiculous. But yes, Christ, uh, um, Christians need to take far more seriously the the view that prayer is actually incredibly powerful and that God answers prayer and that miracles come.
1: In the lead up to the passing of this legislation in Victoria, there were hundreds upon hundreds of Christian leaders, church leaders, denominational leaders. They put their name to uh, letters, open letters, even published letters in the newspapers uh, to the government expressing their concerns about this. Elizabeth, in your uh, listening around the grapevine, have you picked up uh, what church leaders might be reflecting uh, along these lines about what's Happened?
2: Well, the Catholic, some Catholic Church leaders have come out very strongly. Um, although, as you would expect, there's division in the Catholic Church about those from those who are in favour of the bill and those who are deeply concerned about the the prospects of it. That's exactly the same is the case in the Anglican Church. I was at the Anglican Synod in uh, 2018 when an openly gay priest put forward a motion to uh, encourage the government to ban conversion therapy, I didn't think this motion stood a chance, especially with the incredible testimonies that were given you know, against it. And, and yet it passed, I, I would say, overwhelmingly. And now I wonder if they really realize what it is they've gotten themselves into. And uh, so again, and in the Anglican Church, there's, there's a split. I mean, this is going to split the church split uh, some churches the Baptists have been pretty well quiet in as, as a denomination in Victoria the main voice um, in the Baptist Church of Reason has been Murray Campbell who's written some uh, amazing uh, material his blog is well worth looking at for anyone who wants you know uh, to look at some social some cultural criticism and he's looked at the bill uh, the Presbyterians have done incredible work they've written uh, significant pieces to the government and they've got a a, uh, a commission a church I think it's called Church and Nation Commission that uh, monitors laws and is very active uh, in that regard they're they're very Calvinist they're into nation building they're Puritan they're not mucking around and um so there's been a variety of uh, lame responses and great responses, but you know the government, the Andrews government, brushes it all aside. So even when, even when you know the Royal Medical Association puts forward its its concerns, it's brushed aside as uh, you know as. as as irrelevant or yeah. I can't remember the term that was used but it's just brushed aside. But well
1: irrelevant uh, seems to be the feeling that people have when they had put into any sort of submission around these laws. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest this hour is Elizabeth Kendall, International Religious Liberty Analyst and Advocate. And uh, Elizabeth, probably uh, good for us to take some calls. But I'll just hold off for just a moment, just to follow up on something you mentioned uh, just before the break. When you said that, you know, in your observation, there may be some churches that may split uh, over this issue. And I couldn't help but think, that uh, there are some analogies that could describe those sorts of things that could happen here in Australia. And I was thinking of China, where they have the official Three Self Movement Church, which is the government-sponsored Christian church in China. And then you have this huge and continuing to blossom and grow underground church in China that, uh, that... is uh, under is, is outside some of those heavier regulations, is there a sort of an analogy there that that may be a way that we're headed? I don't want to be alarmist here, but uh, but that's the sort of thought that came to mind when you said there could be a split in churches.
2: Well, it's definitely a direction in which we are headed. If we're going to be going down this track of more authoritarian sort of government, it happened it's it's not even just China. But um, you go back into the USSR, it was the same. There there was the official church that had permission to exist and was allowed to exist as long as it basically followed the government's ideology and promoted the government's agenda. Uh, Even in many Muslim countries, often ethnic churches are allowed to exist. Uh, Maybe an Armenian Orthodox church or something can exist, but only if it follows the rules, right? No proselytizing to Muslims etc and things like that uh, no criticizing Muhammad, all those sorts of things. So we're just heading in the, exactly the same direction when, you, when you've got a government that is going to start telling the churches uh, what to do. Now one thing that uh, Murray Campbell picked up actually from his observation of the discussion at Parliament on the 4th of February he says. Um, he says someone asked the Attorney General I uh, said, uh, well, a member of the Legislative Council asked the Attorney-General how will the government skill up ministers and pastors so that they will know where the line is, what they can and cannot say to people about sexual orientation and gender identity. And he said the Attorney-General indicated that educational materials will be made available. In other words, the government... Is going to draw up guidelines for what the church can and cannot say. How can this do anything but cause uh, splits in the church? And, um, you know, the Anglican church, for example, has been doing, have been working really hard to try and not split for a long, long time. And, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, Anglicans who support GAFCON, the, the sort of the evangelical church that's uh, headed i think from from africa and then you've with the others and you know this is just going to inflame the situation even further and and it'll be interesting to watch and i think the thing that would would actually uh, seal the deal would be if the government actually said we will register the churches that are that have a bid to to say what we say they can say, you know, that are agreeing to the state ideology. So that's the next step. That's down the track. And whether that would happen, I don't know. And the thing is, we we have a constitution, so it probably would, there'd be a challenge to the constitution, uh, to the constitutionality of any such law. In fact, the Victorian law as it stands is probably able to be challenged on its constitutionality because we have religious freedom in the Australian Constitution. So probably um, probably things like that are up for debate in the future as well.
1: No doubt there's lots of court issues uh, that will go ahead. We're taking calls on one 316 You might want to have your say. Let's hear from David in Perth. Hello, David. Welcome along.
3: Yes, good morning, um, everyone. I'm grateful to be on the, on the show and listening to such a vibrant, um, passionate uh, topic, uh, which is definitely needed. Um, like uh, one of your previous um, guests said, uh, being asleep at the wheel, um, the churches have been in this sort of uh, rollover culture, sleep at the wheel sort of um attitude and now it's come to a head and now everyone's scrambling or panicking or still in uh, sleep at the wheel and and pretending that this is going to be okay. And that's where we're getting the the split in the churches, I think, that's coming, which is you spoke about. And then we're heading for what you said uh, about the church in China, which is probably quite... Mm -hmm accurate because if it's allowed to go on, uh, we might head down that road. And I'm, I'm scared in the West because um, Mark McGowan, as you said in a previous program, um, is thinking about bringing this bill in West Australia and um, I don't know sort of where to turn to um, to go against this, uh, this bill because we're having an election here yep. um, this month coming up and uh, we really need some help to uh, oppose this bill um, because if he gets in uh, he will do it like the uh, uh, euthanasia bill and just put it through
1: david from what i'm Uh, aware uh, he has signaled uh, that he wants to go along this same route that victoria has Um, elizabeth kendall a quick thought for david uh, around the idea perhaps uh, you know falling asleep at the wheel somebody's been falling asleep at the wheel what are your thoughts for david
2: Oh well, I just I spoke on this topic not all that long ago. The the topic of the West being asleep and uh, needing to hear the voice of the Lord, wake up and strengthen that which remains and is about to die. Uh, Thinking of the church in Sardis which which sat atop that that was supposedly impregnable uh, hilltop and was meant to be impregnable, and so everyone slept and the watchmen were not out and then the Persians and later the Greeks scaled the walls. And God says to the church, wake up and strengthen that which remains. And I've said that the church has for a long time sat atop what it thinks is an impregnable Western civilization. And we've sat so comfortable and slept comfortably because we are in the mainstream of culture. Uh, we haven't got a lot of opposition. And so, so everyone basically has been relaxed, too relaxed, and we haven't, uh, we haven't passed on the faith in the way that we should have been. I was, I've reflected a lot on this lately. We've been very good theologically, but not very good often at making our faith relevant. Um, and I think God is basically just saying, wake up, wake up, strengthen that which remains and is about to die. And um, that's, the, that's really what I see as a message to the church here. And we shouldn't fear it. We should just, get some backbone and realize that God, God's way is the good way and the best way and stand up with it. And I really truly believe that in the decades to come, The churches that do stand up for the truth will be the ones that find themselves on the right side of history as a lot of broken and hurt people start wanting Uh, wanting some help.
1: David in Perth, thank you so much for your call. And David, uh, you're in WA. There is a West Australian election coming up. I think it's the 13th of March. And these sorts of issues are on the agenda, and uh, I'll point you to so you where do I find more information? Well, I can tell you the Australian Christian Lobby will have a dedicated website to the Perth uh, to the WA election. Elizabeth, before we take things a little further, let's take another call. Carol has been waiting patiently. Carol, thank you so much for your patience. What are your thoughts for our conversation today?
0: Oh, thank you, brother. Uh, Hello, Elizabeth. I'm not surprised. I have been expecting this since 1962. Mm-hmm. I um, came to know the Lord when I was 12. I'm 70 now. And I had a great love for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And I had great persecution in my home. And I learned to trust the Lord. And i uh, um, I don't know where to start, but myself here, I have been attacked. The Lord has used me to bring many Muslim women to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have had death threats. I have been spat all over, and I've just replied, the Lord bless you and may he reward you according to your works. Now, I have always witnessed for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've done some mission work in China. If I was caught, I would have been crucified in 1991, Dong Xiaoping there. But uh, I, I am just living, as Watchman Nee would say, the normal Christian life. I've been expecting, uh, as Jesus said, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so it shall be in the last days. And if you read the account, you see that uh, the men came uh, for sexual um, things with the angels from the eldest to the youngest. Now, um, then... Uh, Jesus said that uh, a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And Jesus said, if you, you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. So we've had all these warnings. He said that they will take you before councils and governments for your stand for me. And uh, he said, don't be af- a- a- afraid of what you're going to say. Don't worry. It I will give you you the words at the exact moment that you come before them
1: carol you are making tremendous sense and uh, i think the things that you are reflecting there on a biblical foundation for what to expect are absolutely accurate and uh, elizabeth i wonder if you've got a thought or two for carol
2: uh, yes i do And, and thank you for your call carol one of the most important things you pointed out there i think is the the words of the lord where he says in in uh, in matthew 10 where he explains to the disciples that they will be persecuted they will be dragged before the courts they will be asked to give an account they will be thrown in prison and he says fear not uh, whenever he talks about persecution and trials he says fear not he says the same to the uh, to the churches in in, uh, in the letters in Revelation, fear not. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Um, fear not. This is what we have to do. We have to not fear. We have to be bold. And, you know, the, it's true that this has been coming for a long time. And I think the church has been like the proverbial frog in the pot and, and like the church us up there on the cliff asleep Feeling very secure. I can remember when I would have. I must have been in in the 1980s, uh, late 1980s, and I was at university. And I used to go. I went for a little while to a church where they were showing Francis Schaeffer's films. Uh, How should we then live? And I think there were twelve reel-to-reel films, and we they did two a night over six weeks. And you know, right back in the in the 70s and 80s, men like Francis Schaeffer and Gresham Machen and others were all pointing out the direction of our culture, and not even just uh, from their day, but going right back really into the Enlightenment era when we start to see things change, and we even start to see art change and music change and it ceases to be to glorifying of God and of his creation and it starts to fragment everything and everything starts being fragmented and made ugly and you know a lot of the things that men like Francis Schaeffer said were coming he said we continue on this road in the 1980s, this is what's ahead of us and we're here, we're here now, it's all come to pass and Yet the churches really have never really got their act together. No, not really. And I think what's, one of the things that really excites me now is the degree to which apologetics has really come into its own. Uh, we've moved from, th- from believing that the most important thing in the world is that our theology is right, which of course is important, to understanding that we have to be able to engage with people and and answer their questions. And apologetics has really, uh, really taken off, and I'm really excited to see that, and I think that that is improving. I think the church is waking up, and I'm actually quite excited about the prospect of of what will come in the future.
1: Uh, Let me just say to Carol, uh, thank you so much for your call. Special honour to you, Carol, because it sounds to me like you have a heart That is fearless when it comes to standing for those things that are central to your faith, that your Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is first. I think you've tested the waters of what it is to stand up for Christ and you've experienced and I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll let you go now Carol but uh, but even the idea that you mentioned uh, that sometimes that persecution starts even within the home uh, that's a disturbing thing for a lot of people to think of but Carol from New South Wales thank you so much for your call our talk back line is open on 1800 316 316 you might like to join our conversation you might like to leave a note on today's Facebook page The question I'm asking today is, do you fear government threats to coerce, investigate, monitor and re-educate Christians who promote what the Bible teaches? Elizabeth, let me just reflect a, a comment or two that's come onto the Facebook post today. Terence says, the danger with any law passed such as this isn't so much what is written in black and white it's the liberal interpretations that may apply when radical fringe elements take simple cases to extreme ends uh, i think wise words there from terence any thoughts about how people will interpret the laws
2: oh absolutely i mean how do you interpret harm how do you how do you really prove harm if someone is a if someone says well you know, they suggested that my, uh, that my, my inclinations were sinful and that, that made me want to kill myself. Uh, what do you do with that? So, um, yes, I mean, the interpretation is, is everything. And um, I think we're, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out.
1: Okay, another comment from Justin responding to the same question says there already are underground churches in Australia which have been meeting all through lockdowns in Melbourne. This will keep growing, the church thrives under persecution. Now, what are your thoughts for Justin?
2: I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. That's almost a different it's almost a different topic. <laughs> and um, as, as, in, as in how you respond to the government's uh, coronavirus restrictions, it's really complicated. But um, In terms of uh, the church thrives under persecution, it doesn't always, you know. Some, and, and often what happens is that the church is purged. The church goes into a refining fire. And often what we see first is all the dross being burned off and the church gets a lot smaller. But what you then have is a much clearer gospel, uh, a much more visible uh, gospel in in those who remain. And uh, it's not always a bad thing, but it all depends on how the church responds. So if the church folds or too much of the church folds, yeah, then they can uh, discredit the gospel and discredit the, the ministry. And sometimes it just takes time. I really believe that in the... Years to come and the decades to come, there will be so many people who have been broken, had their lives and families broken by the lies of society, the lies the government tells us about. You can have as much sex as you like. There'll be no consequences. You can change your gender every 12 months in Victoria. No consequences. They're going to be so broken that uh, they are going to be looking for truth and the church will have been purged it will be refined and they will find the truth there and i think things will change in the future and and i think we should be we should be wanting to be part of that the only thing we need to fear is that we're not ready and if we're not ready we need to get ready right now
1: Elizabeth, people can't believe the heavy-handedness of penalties suggested under these new laws. Uh, The penalties are enormous. Uh, You know, even 10 years jail time, uh, if it could be proved that someone had been seriously harmed. What are your thoughts about penalties and the fact that they are really just huge, uh, beyond what anyone might even imagine? Well,
2: the question is, what's serious harm? Um, would someone need to actually commit suicide for a 10-year prison sentence to be given and even then you know if if all the person did was put their hands on the person's back and pray that God would make them whole then surely then they can't be held responsible for, for, for the for the person's response I think um, it's really really dicey territory and and it'll probably play out in the courts and, and only be resolved in the courts and multiple, you know, it'll be chased all the way up to the Supreme Court I imagine and um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of really quite hopeful actually that by the time of the next election we'll be ready to throw uh, this government out in Victoria so hopefully there'll be a uh, government that will have some backbone and be prepared to uh, repeal the act or, or or to uh, amend it so that it it doesn't target uh, issues, something as something as simple as prayer. One of the really big problems is that pretty well all through history, homosexuality has been an activity, not an orientation. It's been an activity, like an like adultery is an activity. Um, now that it's an orientation, this is something completely different. It target so it. It's the actual person that's and this is this has been a very deliberate uh, ploy of the LGBT activists to turn homosexuality into an orientation rather than just an activity. And, and of course, if you can do that with with uh, homosexuality, you can probably do it with other things as well. I mean, it really opens up a can of worms. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out uh, over the longer
1: term. Interesting when you use that terminology. Uh, you know, putting putting your hands on someone's back and praying for wholeness. Uh, there's issues that are uh, are likely to be picked up by activists when it comes to the terminology we even use because mm-hmm. this idea of brokenness and uh, that's a that's a terminology we use fairly freely I might say in Christian life applying to all the different dimensions of our lives that uh, you know we might be broken before God and we might be ones who are recipients of his wholeness when his healing comes upon us But this idea that when you are referring to homosexuals uh, that you not only need to show tolerance but even celebrate uh, where homosexuality is, that's where we draw a line here, I suspect, in Christian circles is that uh, we can't celebrate something the Bible does not condone. And so when we talk about conversion to Christ and the pursuit of wholeness, uh, then this idea of brokenness that is across so many different dimensions of our life also includes our sexuality. And so uh, there's going to be challenging times. And when we talk about the terminologies that we're all n- needing perhaps to adjust to in the years to come, uh, this is a challenging area because uh, this also is an attack on biblical truth. Elizabeth, uh, we can't change the Bible. The Bible isn't changing uh, uh, is there a, a risk here that uh, you know the Bible could be banned or passages of the Bible could be banned, or you'll be sent to jail because you read a particular passage of the Bible with a particular uh, translation? Uh, what are your thoughts around the, the, the challenging times ahead around the Bible's use? Well you know if
2: you go to a country like China, the Chinese Communist Party is is in the process of essentially <laughs> rewriting the Bible for the Chinese Church. So, um in fact there was a this wasn't this wasn't from the Chinese Communist Party it's not from their actual Bible that's being released yet this is still that's still in 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 process of being done but I'm um, trying to think actually now uh, who did it um, there's uh, there was a textbook and uh, it'll be on my blog soon in the next week or so I'll be writing on it but in China there was a um, there was a handbook put out by one group, like a big university group, and it talks, it, it quotes, it quotes, supposedly quotes uh, John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, and everyone wants to stone her, and Jesus stops them from stoning her, and uh, and he sends her away. And this has been rewritten in this textbook for for I can't remember who it is now but um, it's been uh, rewritten and all the people go away and when Jesus is alone with the woman caught in adultery he picks up stones and stones her to death himself it's absolutely appalling yeah. and um, I oh look I'm just not prepared so I haven't got it at my fingertips right now but it'll be on my it'll be on my religious liberty monitoring blog in the next week or so
1: Wow Elizabeth um, Let's mm-hmm. let's spend the last few minutes of our conversation. I can't believe how quickly time has flown by. But I do want to ask you about persecuted Christians in other nations. And there is a sense, isn't there, that if we're now on the cusp of perhaps experiencing this level of persecution in Australian society that we might learn some things from our brothers and sisters who are going through this right now and have gone through it before, uh, places like Iran, places like China that we've been talking about, Uh, the idea that there might be brothers and sisters who have something uh, to uh, show us by way of their having role-modelled how they have gone through this. What are your thoughts uh, for people in other nations and what we might learn from them right now as we're facing these possibilities?
2: Well, one thing that we really do take away when we pray for the persecuted church is a sense of solidarity. So quite often people can feel very alone when they're persecuted. Uh, they feel like no one under- would, would understand, or they feel isolated, and they feel alone. But when you pray for the persecuted church regularly, like just say you're receiving the Religious Liberty Prayer and every week and you read it or your church is you know, your church is praying for the persecutor every week, you realize that, that this is that what you're suffering is not unique. It's happening to Christians all over the world. Uh, Christians in China are being persecuted. Christians in Iran are being persecuted. And yet God is doing amazing things in those countries and in the church. God is has it is not gone out of his control. And praying for the persecuted church is a very powerful thing to do because you realize you are not alone when you are persecuted. If the devil can make you think you're alone, uh, he will cause you great trouble. When you realize that you're part of a church where people are being persecuted, much, much worse than you are. I I don't know that we will ever be in a situation as bad as it is in China. Um, But, uh, you know, when you realize that Christians are standing firm in countries like China and in Iran, uh, then you have a great sense of solidarity and you realize you're not alone. And that's why praying for the persecuted is just so powerful. And so it strengthens you in your inner being. It really does.
1: Wow. And our encouragement always is uh, to find A a people or a person or a family or someone that you know who is under extreme persecution in other parts around the world and introduce that regularly into your prayer time. Uh, Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Kendall, as you say, the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin, which our listeners can access when they go to your website, elizabethkendall.com, that's a a way that people can uh, be brought up to date with the developments that are going on around the world. And for some people, no doubt, uh, this would be even one of the first times they've been even hearing about this idea of Christian persecution. And here we are talking about it being on our doorstep here in Australia. But elizabethkendall.com is Elizabeth's website. I mentioned that Elizabeth has a couple of books that she's written. One is called Turn Back the Battle – Isaiah speaks to Christians today. And I would not have thought about this uh, all those years ago when we first started talking about your book, Elizabeth, that uh, some of the concepts that you're talking about in there might even apply to Australian society. But uh, what you wrote many years ago is now becoming quite powerful here for our Australian context. Turn back the battle. Isaiah speaks to Christians today and offering a biblical response to persecution and existential threat. The other book Elizabeth has written, After Saturday Comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. Uh, Elizabeth, I'll point people to your website. Of course, those books are available at all good bookstores and you can get them online too. But elizabethkendall.com and uh, check out the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin. Elizabeth, always appreciate your deep insights. Thanks so much for updating us today on 2020.
2: And thanks for having me, Neil.